Well, it's definitely a joy and a delight to be with all of you tonight. Um, I, I feel like Pastor Russell's now like taking all of my introductory comments. I was going to talk about the fact that we just met each other this week, that it was the Coopers that connected us. I was going to talk about how we both uh, sermon sniped one another. Um, one thing that he did leave out, though, was that the sermon I selected from him was last week's sermon. He picked mine from 2006. So... I told him, I said, I, I, I hope that, you know, there's been a little bit of growth and development in me since 2006, but uh, we'll see. I guess you'll find that out tonight. I'm, I'm hoping that there's some in 10 years from now that you listen to from <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, anyway, I'm delighted to be able to be here uh, tonight, and um, I was told that, that kind of whatever the Lord might lay on my heart um, would be appropriate to this evening. Um, I typically preach just expositionally, just verse by verse through books of the Bible. And so where I've been with my church family has been working through First and Second Corinthians in the last couple of years. And I'm two sermons away from finishing Second uh, Corinthians. And so as I was considering those two books, um, a passage in First Corinthians 12 really stood out to me. And so I want to read from First Corinthians 12. Tonight we're going to be in verses 14 through 26 of First Corinthians 12. If you have a Bible there and you want to turn there with me. 1 Corinthians 12, I'm going to read verses 14 through 26, and then we'll pray together. 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 14, and we'll read down to verse 26. I think it's appropriate that Pastor Russell said that he had the uh, uh, not-so-privilege to hear someone talk about how to leave a church. Um, my, my subject tonight is to talk about the, the beauty and glory of church membership. What does it mean to be a member of a local church and how do we grow in our understanding of what God has designed in the local church? So here we are, 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 14. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. If the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. For God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers... All the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your glorious word. What a privilege and honor it is to be here tonight. Lord, I thank you for the friendship that has even just developed this week between myself and Pastor Russell. And Lord, I, I thank you for the opportunity you give us to encourage one another it's good to be reminded of the faithful church all over the place. And sometimes we can feel a little isolated at times. Sometimes we can feel like 
we're um, one of the last ones left. We might feel like Elijah sometimes and have to be reminded, oh no, there's, there's many that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. Lord, thank you for that. Thank you that there are many faithful, godly ministers who are preaching your word week in, week out. Some men who have stood the test of time and been in the same pulpit in the same church for many, many years. What a blessing that is. Thank you for the unique and precious fruit that uh, is developed in scenarios like that. And Lord, thank you for the way in which you have composed your bride, the church. I pray you'd give us a, a greater, not only understanding, but appreciation and thankfulness for what you've done with the church. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a time and place for defining and defending a particular doctrine where we kind of lay out the truth of it and point out how right it is. Um, that's, that's important, and this is crucial in at least two situations. One, if there's ignorance regarding that, we have to kind of explain those facts and those details. And there's also cases in which someone might stubbornly refuse the truth, and so they're in need of correction. They need to be told what the Bible says about something. And for this reason, we engage in reasoned discourse with other people. We provide scriptural reasons as to why we believe what we believe. We appeal to their minds. We, we appeal to their consciences about what is true and good. We, we make our aim at making men knowledgeable and then accountable to the truth of what God's word says. But there also comes a day in which the facts have already been laid out. The truth of the situation has become very, very clear. Ignorance has already been enlightened. And when hard-heartedness has already been rebuked, and yet there may still be a refusal on the part of some people to live in light of the truth that they know to be true and they know to be good. Sin has an effect on the heart, doesn't it? It has a, a, a hardening effect on the heart. And it can blind minds and sear consciences. And apart from divine intervention, apart from a work of the Holy Spirit upon the heart, uh, truth will be refused. Righteousness will be ignored. And there comes time and place where we have done all that we can. We might have to move on down the road and tell someone else the good news of the gospel, right? That might happen to us at some times. But my encouragement for us tonight is that before we cease with our labors toward those who reject the truth, before we shake the dust from our feet and move on to the next soul in need of hearing what is true and good, there might be at least one more line of approach that we need to consider before we move on. Let us also make an appeal to hardened hearts and blinded eyes and deaf ears according to the beauty and the wonder of the truth. In classical categories, the aim of education was not only to discuss what's true and good, but also what is beautiful. And contrary to present opinions on that subject, beauty is not merely relative. The belief that is uh, often only taken root today that beauty is all relative is because I think what they've done with truth Truth has been made out to be only relative. And if truth is relative, then morality and ethics and goodness is also relative. And if both of those are relative, beauty is also relative as well. You see, where truth goes, so does goodness. And where truth and goodness go, so does beauty. If truth is relative, then goodness and ethics and morality is, is also relative and so is beauty. So we, have to, we must not stop at merely espousing the truth or the goodness of a matter, which we must do. We must also point to its beauty. And sometimes it's in discovering the beauty of a thing that a soul is jarred out of its spiritual lethargy, its normal pattern of thinking, to go, oh wait, I didn't realize just how amazing that was. Sometimes recognizing the beauty of a thing can provide the gusto for us to live in light of the truth that we've been taught. Be warned that you not become flatly content with the functionality of things 
and miss the glory of them. Certainly, if something is dysfunctional, it's also not going to be very beautiful, right? I mean, if it doesn't work at all, there's nothing beautiful about it. But there's a lot of things that work well in which we only maintain a pragmatic concern about it. As long as it's working, that's all I care about. But there's something more to be grasped here. This world was created by a God who is true and good and beautiful, and his fingerprints are evident on everything that he's made. Now, perhaps males are a little bit more apt at neglecting uh, the idea of beauty. I, I use an example of this. You know, Consider having breakfast at the church. If the men are in charge of the breakfast, I'll tell you what's going to happen. There'll be plenty of food. There won't be much frou-frou. The tablecloths, who cares? Um, was there silverware? Well, we got hands. Um, you know, there's stuff like that, right? And men will just be okay with that in general. There's some exceptions, but in general, eh, as long as it's practically there, we're good. No cups, we can just pour the beverage right into our, cup, our mouths. We're fine. But now women, when they're eating together breakfast, they don't probably even call it breakfast, right? It's like brunch. Like we got to get a different name. Um, and you can be sure that they're going to consider the serving dishes and the layout of the buffet and tablecloths will be thought through, all these kinds of things. Now, while not every artistic touch is necessary in this world, we can also recognize that a world devoid of beauty would be sad indeed. And one only needs to look around for a few moments to recognize that our God is not only powerful, but he is also intensely creative. Think about the world that he has made. He's made a world that's not only functional, but a world that is beautiful and gorgeous. Have you ever been gripped by beauty? Have you ever had your breath taken away by a moment where you saw something or you heard something or you experienced something? Maybe for a couple of you tonight, singing a couple of those old hymns brought you to that kind of moment, right? Where it takes your breath away. You're like, oh, I've been longing to hear us as a church singing that song to our great God. We are not only created to take in truth. God made us to be people who appreciate beauty. We've been made to see beauty. We pick it out. We see it. And it's a difference, right, between something that's not so beautiful and something that is. Beauty captivates the attention. I can describe the Grand Canyon to you, considered by many uh, to be one of the seven wonders of the natural world. I can tell you that it's about 277 miles long. It stretches some 18 miles at its widest point. It plunges some 6,000 feet deep. The land area that it takes up is larger than the state of Rhode Island. I could show you pictures. We could look at those pictures together. And then I could tell you I've never been to the Grand Canyon. How many of you have been to the Grand Canyon? Raise your hand if you've been to the Grand Canyon. Okay, a few of you have. I've heard that it's a little bit different when you're there than when you're looking at pictures. Would you agree with that? I've heard from those who have been to the Grand Canyon that you just don't really know what it's like until you've been to the Grand Canyon. And you can, I know right now, I can know some, rightly know some facts about it, but yet not be enraptured by the beauty that is there. It's also possible for a person who is even physically present in the place to fail to be put in awe of it. I'm sure that this is more common with, for those who maybe live near to the Grand Canyon where they're used to seeing it. And so after a while, it just becomes commonplace. You know, sometimes we do this even with loved ones, don't we? Maybe a spouse. Sometimes we start to take for granted the lovely spouse that God has given to us just because they're just always there. There's an old song by Stephen Chris Chapman entitled See the Glory in which he depicted a self-criticism of himself. He says, sometimes I feel like I'm sitting in the, standing in the middle of the Grand Canyon and I'm playing a Game Boy. I'm eating candy while I'm sitting at a gourmet feast. And sometimes this might be the case for us. Now, I tell this following story with my son's express permission. 
I've, I learned long ago that as a pastor, don't usually use your family in illustrations unless they're very good ones and they become out the heroes. Um, this one's kind of like in between. And so I asked my son, I asked my son um, Joel, is it okay if I share this? And he said, it's okay if I share this tonight. Well, Joel loves to read. He loves reading. It's, um, and most of the time, that's a very fantastic thing. However, there are maybe some moments in which the glory of reading should be eclipsed by the glory of something else. Um, anyway, a few, a couple of years ago, we were up in Wisconsin, and it was our last time of vacation, last like last moment of vacation up there. I took my kids all out in an aluminum uh, boat with a little motor on the end of it, and we just started cruising this beautiful lake called Presque Isle Lake, and we're just cruising around it. And I get out about halfway out there, and I'm like, this is just gorgeous. Like, I don't want to go back to t- Texas. Sorry, Texas. <laughs> I, I like Texas. <laughs> For other reasons, but not for this reason. So I'm like, oh, I just want to stay here. And so we're driving, we're, we're, you know, driving. I'm, I'm manning the boat through the water, and my girls are out there, and I'm like commenting all this. And so I take out my phone, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to send a video of this to a couple of my guy friends, you know, make them feel really bad about not being here. I'm such a good friend I am. And so I'm starting to do this 360-degree pan of the, of, the, of the place. And as I'm coming around, I'm like, look at those trees. Look at that water. Look at that loon in the water. Look at that. Look at my son reading his book. Oh, look at that loon. Look at, look at the stuff over there. Wait, my son's reading his book. <laughs> what? What's going on? And I remember talking to Joel, and I'm like, Joel! We're about to get in the car and spend over 20 hours driving home. You'll have plenty of time to read your book. We've got this one moment and this grand grandeur of beauty that's around us, and your head's in a book. What's going on? Obviously, in that moment, and in most cases, he's, he's picked the better choice in most cases, although on this one I said, maybe I'll take exception with you. But I wonder if there's some times in which we're in a similar situation. Do we ever do this with the glory and, and grace of God? Are there moments in which we could be experiencing unparalleled beauty? Are we, spiritually speaking, like a kid playing a video game when he's sitting in the middle of the Grand Canyon? Are we reading a book in the middle of a sightseeing tour of Presque Isle Lake? What are we taking for granted? What beauty are we failing to perceive? So why this introduction tonight? Why share all of that? Well, I believe that among the things that you might be in danger of knowing something rightly about, you might know some right truth about, and yet fail to see the beauty of it, it might be the subject of church membership. As a matter of fact, if I was to tell you tonight, I'm going to come and talk to you about church membership, like already. <laughs> that doesn't sound like very exciting, does it? In general, we might have gotten to a place where we're like, oh yeah, members, yeah. And another thing you might ask is like, well, we're here tonight. It's not even Sunday morning. <laughs> are you preaching to the choir? I mean, aren't these people who care about church membership? I mean, you're here for this Bible retreat. Well, even we as members of the church, able to cite appropriate texts that talk about church membership and participation, we can still fail to live in light of the glory of what God has done in making us members of one body together. And I want us to just take a few moments tonight and bask in the glory of this. Not only understand the truth of it, but enjoy the beauty of what God has done in putting this together. That we'd leave this place tonight later on, with, with a, a newfound appreciation and joy of, for the beauty of what God has done in church membership. Not only checking the right boxes, but enjoying what God has done. I've got two things I want us to mention to you tonight. They're very simple points. Number one, what we give as a member of a local church. What we give as a member of a local church. And then number two, what we get as a member of a local church. There's a giving and there's a getting. There is. Both, both elements are here. And so we're first going to talk about what we give as a member 
of a local church. Now, from the words in this section, it appears that there was, at minimum, two concerns that were being addressed within the Corinthian membership. The first is addressed in verses 14 through 17, and I think the second is addressed in verses 18 through 22. And there's a sort of connection between these two concerns. God's design for the body, for the church family, for the body of Christ, is to place within it a diverse people, each person being gifted in a unique way, such that interdependence is required. He doesn't give all of the gifts to just one person. He distributes them as he sees fit. And he gives some of us lacks in some places, and he gives us some of us uh, superabundances in some places on purpose. This is all part of God's wonderful design. Neither is a person, as a result of all this, since this interdependence is required, neither is a person to withdraw themselves from fellowship for thoughts that, well, I'm not really needed. I'm not as gifted as that person. I'm not really needed. That's a wrong response. Nor should anyone suppose that their own giftedness excludes any, from needing anyone else. See, both of those positions are excluded by the text in front of us. So let's note this. Each member is a unique contributor. I think this is what we see in verses 14 through 17. Each member is a unique contributor. In the previous context, in verses 12 and 13, we're told that even as the body is one and yet has many members, for all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also Christ. For by one spirit, we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we are all made to drink of one spirit. With those words, the church was and is reminded that while we are many, we are united in one body. And that union was brought to pass by what? God's grace. The moment we were regenerated by the Holy Spirit, the moment we were granted repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we were brought into his family, adopted as children of the Almighty. Every Christian has experienced, therefore, a spiritual baptism and communion with the Holy Spirit who unites us into one body. Our celebration of the church ordinances, water baptism, and the Lord's Supper are just expressions then of a reality that's already been made sure inwardly by Jesus' work of redemption and the Holy Spirit's application of that work to us individually. Here in verses 14 and following, we're reminded yet again through an analogy to the human body that a body is not made up of one member, but many. Many various parts come together to form the body, and each part needs to play its own role. For the, function, for the proper function of the entire body. The principle is set forth through a very humorous and memorable illustration. And for that matter, of all places in 1 Corinthians, this might be one of those that you, kind of, you start to read this text and you're like, oh yeah, I remember this text. I remember how this goes. Because it is quite humorous and it's meant to be. It makes it very memorable. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body. It's not for this reason, not a part of the body. Verse 16, if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not part of the body. It's not for this reason, not a part of the body of the body. Can you imagine the scene in which your foot sprouts a mouth and it's able to speak for itself and it objects to its role within the body? It's like, you know what? I like the hand's position a lot better than mine. I mean, I can kind of understand the foot's objection, can't you? I mean, have you ever thought about the treatment that our feet go through every single day of our lives? I mean, they have to bear the weight of everyone else all the time. They're wrapped up in sweaty socks, stuck in shoes for most of their days. All this while hands have a place of prominence and, you know, get to move around and do all kinds of wonderful things. They play pianos and, you know, they paint paintings and all of the rest. Having been given more dexterity through which more important things are being accomplished. And yet, the thought that feet have no place is ridiculous. 
as great as hands might be, they're not very well suited for running and walking. Have you ever tried to walk around on your hands? Maybe some of you can do that. Ever tried to run around on your hands for very far? You probably wouldn't want to do it for very long, even if you could. Can you imagine a situation in which the ear, out of envy for the eye, decides to stop functioning as an ear? We might be able to understand the envy. The eye is a pretty incredible organ. It's able to interpret light coming in through a lens and landing on a retina to some 137 million light-sensitive receptor cells that are on the retina, rods and cones. It's an incredible thing. But that doesn't mean that the ear is a slouch. Within the ear is an eardrum that's even able to pick up the slightest of whispers, which may only move the drum a billionth of a centimeter. Amplification is achieved through these three little bones that then transmit to the cochlea where thousands of nerve cells tuned to particular vibrations pick up the information and send an electrical signal to the brain, which the brain's then able to interpret and decode. So the objecting body parts are led to listen to reason in verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? As much as seeing is wonderful, so is hearing. Being able to see twice as well might be an advantage, right? <laughs> you could really forever do away with peripheral vision problems, right? If you, had, if you had eyes where your ears were. Like, oh, I've got four eyes now. I see even better than before. But to exchange that for the ability to hear, I don't think any of us would want to give that up. By God's providence, um, I have been dealing with congestion in my left ear. Uh, for now, it's been over three weeks. I cannot hear out of my left ear right now. I'm actually listening to my voice in my head, which is really annoying. But, but God has given me contentment in it, and I have become all the more aware of how wonderful the gift of hearing is. Right In those moments, isn't that how this usually goes? A lot of times we take for granted the very thing until it's taken, until it's not working the way that it normally does. Similarly, if the nose decided that the ear was a more desirable position, what would happen if our noses turned into ears? Our hearing, again, might improve slightly, but we'd lose our sense of smell, another unacceptable exchange. My first round through COVID left me without taste and smell for a few days. It was an unpleasant situation. Uh, Eating was not nearly as fun, that's for sure. Um, I would like to say I I was able to diet through that time, but I kept eating. It didn't didn't stop me from eating, but anyway... um, it, it was an unpleasant sensation. I definitely, wouldn't like to, I definitely would like to maintain all of the senses if, if the Lord should allow me to. You see, any situation in which one member of the body becomes so prominent that nothing else matters, listen to this, is not a healthy functioning body. If the body says all that matters is the eye, the body is not functioning right. If the body says all I need is an ear, I don't need anything else, the body is a monster. Think about it for just a minute. Think about the classical monsters, like the one that stands out in my mind immediately is Cyclops. What is he? A big eye. (laughs) He's just got a big eye, an oversized eye, and as a result, it's monstrous. But so many other classical monsters are the same thing. There's some part of the body that's either distorted or replaced with something else, and as a result, it's a monster. It's not the way God intended it to be. So in all of these cases, the problem is not the component parts themselves. It's just that when they're combined or emphasized in a way that's contrary to the nature of how God made them to function together. I believe these words are intended for the person who looks at their own gifting and considers that their own station within the church and then self-appraises themselves as subpar for service. This sometimes can happen for a church member who's looking up at a pastor or something like, well, because I can't preach like him, I must not be that useful. Or they look over at somebody who plays piano like, well, because I can't play piano, I don't know if I'm all that useful. And, and as a result, then they start to kind of get into a pity party place where they're like, I don't know if I have anything to give. 
And that's a bad place for the church to be in. You have to recognize that God has gifted people in different ways, but all those gifts make a valuable contribution to the body. Valuing the contribution of another member is a good thing, but envying someone else and thereby considering your own contribution as redundant or insignificant is wrong. We must not become discouraged in bringing our own gifts. Employ the gift that God has given you to the benefit of the body. We each have been given something unique to be employed. Each one of us has a special gift given from the Lord to be utilized in the building up of the body of Christ. So it's appropriate for any Christian to, uh, it's inappropriate for any Christian to surmise, they don't need me. But it's also wrong for any Christian to conclude, I don't need them. See, this is the other side of that. One side is, oh, I'm not needed because I'm not as good as them. The other side of it is the person who has a lot of gifts and they're like, well, I don't think I need anybody else. I can just do this on my own. So this is the other point I'd say from verses 18 through 22, and that is no member is a frivolous appendage. No member is a frivolous appendage. Look at verse 18. But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If there were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. Verse 18 explains that the members of the body of Christ has been hand-picked by God. Think about this for just a minute. The people in this church, at Cheetah Baptist Church, you've been hand-selected by God, brought in here together, woven and knit together by his design. So the next time you get in a little bit of a scuffle or fight with another Christian, you should think for just a moment, God placed us both here (laughs) for a reason, and he expects us to work this through, to get these things figured out and fixed if there is any problem amongst us. Like a master builder, a wise architect, God has purposely chosen the people that make up his church. And that doesn't just mean in the broad global sense, that's also true, but also in the particular sense with a local congregation. The people that are there are there by God's design. Now, if you were to walk into my garage right now, you would find a combination of order and disorder. I'd be the first one to tell you, there are some things that need to be ordered. Now, take somebody like, uh, you know, it's funny tonight, of all the people, Donnie Cooper and Steve Kemper, who are longtime friends of mine, both these men are like the most organized people I've ever met in my life. Like, you know, I go into anything that Donnie's, he he can hardly even come up to, so my church also has like, you know, a little room. Do you guys have a room like you put stuff and you just kind of stuff? Okay, you you got it. Good, good, good. See, I knew we... We're kin, we have a kinship here. Um, so yeah, we got rooms, like stuff just kind of gets stuffed in, or like things like, I know we need to get that at some point. And so anyway, we have this closet, this tech closet, and it's got a thousand wires in it. Like they're everywhere, everywhere. And so I'm like, Donnie, you can't even look in there. Don't, don't even go in there. Because I've seen what he does with electronics. Like every wire is like, you know, zip tied to another thing. And it's all beautifully done. You know, Steve Kemper with Spreadsheet City, like he's got a spreadsheet on everything at my church. Um, he also is my like, he doesn't get paid, but he's kind of like my secretary because he keeps track of all the stuff I need to remember because I always forget them. So I'm so thankful for all these guys. I'm not that way. I got some amount of order and then I'll big chunk of disorder. And my wife is wonderful and gracious towards me and tries to help me out here and there. My garage is haphazard. It needs some fixing. You'd be right if you came into my garage and said, you know, this needs to be adjusted. Let me move these things around a little bit for you, Jess. God is not me. God is a master builder. He doesn't make mistakes. He, th- this church has been fashioned by him. The people in this room are here on purpose by his design. And when we start to really sink into that, we recognize God has a plan for us. He brought the right people here. If right now it means no song leader, That's how God has it. And I love that you guys are just content with that. It's okay. 
If the Lord should bring along that and it's something you want to do as a church, wonderful. But we receive the gifts that God's given and then we ask one another, what are the giftings he's given? How do we employ those best together within this local congregation? So just as one member is not to denigrate themselves out of envy for another gift that they don't have, nor is any member to think that their own gifting trivializes the need of others to use their gifts. Just as it would be wrong for a member of our body to quit its function out of envy for somebody else, so it would be wrong for some member to discourage another person from their proper function if they have a gift to bring to the table. Again, Paul illustrates this, this principle with a tangible and memorable manner. Look at verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or the head to the feet, I have no need of you. I love this. It cannot say this. Well, yeah, obviously on some level it can't because it doesn't have a mouth. (laughs) Neither of these organs can speak. But even if they could speak, they wouldn't want to say those things. As valuable as the eye is, the eye cannot perform the function of the hand. In, In fact, objects which your hand handles every day would spell ruin for your eye. Think about the number of things you touch with your hands you would never want to touch with your eyes, right? They have a different function. As crucial as our heads are to the function of the entire body, you wouldn't be able to move around were it not for the role of the feet. Notice in these cases, the body parts being considered, uh, uh, being considered here work together in life. The thought of one disregarding the effort or the work of another would be absurd, The body is interdependent. They work together. And notice, they're not interchangeable. You don't want to just change an eye for a foot. You want the foot to be a foot, the best foot it could ever be. And you want the eye to be the best eye it could ever be and the ear to be the best ear it could be. You want to highlight the strengths of those members operating where they ought to. They're not interchangeable. Look at verse 22. We're led to consider what really makes a member important to the body. It says, on the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. Think about that for a minute. The members which seem to be weaker are necessary. Think about how many organs in the human body are less tough, are weaker, and yet essential for life. There are a flurry of organs, internal organs, which under normal conditions never see the light of day. They live out their days in dark obscurity, and yet they are absolutely vital for life. Our brains are kept safe within skulls. Our hearts and lungs are situated beneath rib cages. Our digestive and excretive systems are situated within torsos under layers of skin and muscle. Seldom do these organs receive much praise for the job they do. In fact, as I said earlier, it's only the time that we ever speak of them is when they don't operate properly, right? How many of our prayer requests happen when one of those vital organs, which we otherwise never see, is acting up? Whenever that doesn't work so well, it gets a lot of our body's attention, doesn't it? When it's operating fine, it gets pretty much no attention. But when it's not, we become intensely aware that there's a problem. Sometimes it's the very members that receive little spotlight that are the most crucial members to the church. It is sometimes the person who is hardly ever, their name is hardly ever mentioned. They might not get lots of accolades or praise, but it's that person who's been praying consistently. It's that person who's been using whatever God has given them to influence and help others around them that might be at the very heart of that congregation. No member is a frivolous appendage. And while the body analogy may break down when considering that, well, you know, maybe some of you here are like, well, okay, we're using this body analogy, like, I mean, technically, you could lose some things and still live, 
Yeah, you're right. You could. You could lose. There are some expendable members in the sense that like, you could still be alive. But I don't know how many of you are like, well, you know, while I might be able to live without it, I would rather have it if I could. Around a year and a half ago, I learned about the gallbladder. Why? Because of the reason I just told you before. I had an evening in which I was trying to sleep, and I had an excruciating gallbladder attack one night. Kept me up through the whole night. It was awful. Went in, got an ultrasound, found out there were a couple of massive stones, like about the size of marbles, two marbles, inside of this tiny little gallbladder. I mean, they took up all the space. And so what they do? They went in and they removed my gallbladder. I learned that I can live without a gallbladder. I'm still here. I'm living. And yet the absence of my gallbladder has made me aware of some of its functions. It does work towards digestion, and it does cause me some amount of digestive issues at, at times, right? For years, the appendix was considered to be an unnecessary appendage that only caused problems, but there's been more recent research that's been done into the appendix to say that it actually creates some amount of good bacteria that can even repopulate the gut after a bout with, with uh, some sort of bad bacteria that's come through your digestive system. The point is this. No, matter, no member of the body would ever call for the removal of another member that is functioning properly. The only reason the gallbladder was removed because it wasn't functioning right. And when it doesn't function right, it had to be removed. But otherwise, when the numbers are functioning right, you want them there. They're important. The eye does a good job at eye stuff. It makes a lousy hand or foot, but it does a good job at the thing it's been created to do when it functions properly. No member of Christ's church is a frivolous appendage. What a beautiful thing it is to see the body of Christ functioning properly. God has woven this like beautiful tapestry together, diverse people, diverse gifts, brought together as one in Christ, each serving one another with the resources and empowerment that the Holy Spirit has granted to us. And to further this beautiful picture, we note not only what we, what we give as a member of the church, but point to what we get. What do we get as a member of the local church? Let's look at verses 23 and 24 and note the bestowal of honor. There's two things I want to mention here. The first is the bestowal of honor. One of the beautiful implications of knowing that man is specially created by God is that every single human being has inherent worth and dignity. Every human being, right? In the womb has dignity, inherent dignity made in God's image. Every man, every woman, every boy, every girl made in God's image. The good that is to be found in mankind is owing completely to God, who is the source of all good gifts, James 1.17. We all know far too well also that man is corrupted by sin, which, by the way, is a much more deadly plague or virus than any virus, including COVID or anything else. Sin guarantees death at some point. We die because of sin. The wages of sin is death. We know that death is coming, and we know after death is judgment from a holy God that rightly comes over us for our sin against his holiness, against his righteousness, and we'll be greeted with a guilty verdict if we're not found in Christ, giving us what we deserve, eternal punishment in hell. Now, man was crowned with glory in God's creative work, but he will be condemned for sin in God's judging work unless a man repents of his sin and trusts in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. All those trusting in Christ are forgiven of their sins and freed from the penalty since Christ died in their stead. He was their substitute. He took the wrath of God on their account. And then in Christ we're given assurance of honor and reward in the new heavens and new earth. Isn't that amazing? Like just the fact we've gotten this unmerited gift, we've been given forgiveness, eternal life, and then beyond that God says he's going to reward us in heaven. 
What? Like, the only thing I'm being rewarded for is what you've given to me and the things I've worked out that you did for me and influenced me to do. Like, how does this work? And yet that's the magnanimity of our God. It's how gracious and glorious he is. We know that in heaven there will be rewards given out to faithful children of the Lord. What's more, God has given us a taste of those heaven realities within the body of Christ. Note this, within the church right now, God has seen fit to honor his children within the context of the local church. Read in verse 23 and 24, those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. Our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked. Again, we're taught this lesson by analogy to the human body. Those members of our body, which are deemed less honorable, we bestow more abundant honor on, making less presentable members presentable. Now, what is it talking about there? Now, I I think the best way to understand this is looking at the word bestow there. The word bestow in Greek could literally, literally means to place or to set around to place or set around. And it appears that Paul was explaining that our action, what we do with unpresentable bodies, is we cover them. We cover them up. We take parts of the body that are less presentable and we place nice fabrics on them and coverings over our less presentable parts. And they thereby become presentable. Our work of providing covering to less honorable parts provides them with honor. They're honored by the coverings. We act to make less honorable members more honorable. So the church community working together makes efforts to encourage and honor those members which may otherwise be overlooked. On the other hand, those members which have no need of covering already receive honor and glory that comes to them. Think about it. We typically clothe our torsos, our upper legs, our feet, while our faces, our hands, our, our arms to some extent are usually displayed. The more these, these, these elements, these members of our body already receive glory. They're there. But we, we bestow a special glory on our unpresentable parts by clothing them with honor. And so the body of Christ does this. When the body of Christ is working properly, we work overtime to honor the less presentable parts. We find ways to thank and encourage those less presentable parts. See here that the body of Christ is a place where honor is not only ascribed unto our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, but also a place where we honor one another through service to one another. The elders and deacons of a church serve in ways that they're called to, but by its very nature, their ministry is often out front and in public. It just is. But the ones do greater honor are all the people whose names are often not listed, those lives who have devoted themselves to faithful prayer and service, oftentimes in obscurity. They deserve our honor. And I'm glad that one day the Lord Jesus Christ, who sees all things done in his name and for his glory, will openly reward those things in heaven. But as much as we have an opportunity to do so within the local church, we ought to honor the work of those who have been faithful to the Lord. The other beautiful benefit we see, the last thing here, is the provision of care. Look at verses 25 and 26 with me. Not only is the church a place where honor is bestowed, but it's also a place where care is given. Look at verse 25. So there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. God has so blended together the body that there is no division in the body. The goal of diversity, please hear this, is never schism. 
He hasn't made us all the same on purpose. He's made us different. But he's made us different not that we would divide, but that we would work together. Whenever there's a schism, it's a work of the enemy. It's not a work of the Lord. God's intended diversity is not for separation, but for united care for one another. He's equipped us uniquely to provide and help for help provide help to one another. It goes like this. We all have certain resources and we all have certain needs and the resources and needs are different for each one of us and so the way in which we develop relationship with one another is through exchanges where i provide for your need and you provide for my need which means we have to be really good at receiving and giving with one another right and by the way some of us have to work on receiving some of us need to indicate when we need help and tell the church about where we need help and allow someone else the joy and blessing of being able to help us when we're in a time of need Others of us need to maybe work on the giving part of that. How can I reach out and help someone else around? And so these are a couple of questions you can ask yourself. Have you reached out to anyone recently? Have you invited anyone over for dinner recently? Who have you called to check on recently? To whom have you reached out? We need to remember member care is not just the, the duty of Pastor Russell. Right? Member care is something that all of the members of the church are engaged in. All of us care for one another. All of us look out for one another. All of us pray for one another. When we don't see somebody at church on Sunday, all of us see how are they doing. Maybe not all at the exact same time, but you know what I'm talking about, right? We're all engaged in this. And then look at verse 26. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Richard Hayes says it well. Paul envisions not just the tolerance of differences within community, but a gracious and compassionate synergy in which all the members share one another's sorrows and joys. This lesson is, yet again, one that we know implicitly from our own bodies, don't we? If one member of our body suffers, our whole body feels it, right? A couple of years ago, I was walking into the church, um, and there's a side door of the church near my office, and I put the key into the lock, and I started to pull it back. I had stuff in my other hand. My son was right behind me. I, this is where you get to be on the other side of the illustration. So I, I pull back the key. I'm using the key itself to pull the door open. It's got a spring mechanism to it. And I go, I normally would put my foot in the door, but that day, for whatever reason, I decided to try to use my hand. And only one finger got in the door, and it slammed shut. It's a metal door, metal to metal frame. And oh, did that smart. My, my son watched me act like a, a little child as I ran around the sanctuary about 800 times. That little finger, which Ezra, it was my middle finger, you know, the, the, the nail turned black, it became swelled up. That one little thing to this one finger caused my whole body to respond. It wasn't just like, oh, you know, that's just something over there. No, my body feels what's happening here, right? And let me just ask this question. Anybody ever had, had a bad toothache before? Was it just your tooth that hurt? No, it was your body. Anybody deal with any back pain? Anybody in here ever deal with back pain or neck pain? Anybody ever dealt with a migraine headache? Ever had a stomach ache? Any, had, any of you have any chronic pain? When that's flaring up, it's hard to think about anything else, right? It's hard. That, that part of your body signals to the rest of your body, things are out of whack and I need help. Tend to me. I won't let you do anything else until you tend to me. Right? That, that happens within the body. We know this. So how much more should that happen within the body of Christ? When a member is hurting, we all should respond to the hurt. We should all be there to care for the one who is hurt. Now, it works the other way too. When, when, some, when one part of my body gets honored, the whole body is honored, right? 
I remember when I graduated from seminary and they put like a, you know, a hood thing over my back. Like, is this my back that's being honored? <laughs> or my neck that's being honored? Or am I being honored? The whole body feels the honor, right? If a medal's put on a soldier for something that he's done, it's not just his neck that receives honor. His whole body receives honor. If someone's mind develops a beautiful solution, the whole body is honored. If someone's skill is, in something is recognized, the whole person is held in high regard. When you eat a fabulous meal, it's not only your taste buds that rejoice. Your whole body feels the elation, right? If I'm brought to any joy, my heart may skip a beat. My, jo- my hands might raise up. My legs might spring into action. My face won't be able to hold back a smile. The whole body comes into play. The point of the analogy for our membership within the local church is that when we have been blessed with the privilege of something great or with something difficult, with some sort of suffering, the whole body rejoices and suffers with each member of the local body. Dig down deep into that reality. You are not meant to live the Christian life alone. You are meant to live in community. In order to do that, you have to share your life with one another. You have to care for one another. You have to rejoice with one another. You have to suffer with one another. And I believe that This message, in my mind, becomes all the more important as we consider what's going on in places like Canada and Australia and in some areas of the United States in which persecution has heightened and people even getting together to to meet as the body of Christ in church has been persecuted by some governments. Notice that they're still gathering even with all those horrible mandates going on. Why? Because Christ is worth it. Because they recognize not only the truth of community, but the beauty of it. If you're not convinced of the beauty of it, you won't come. The first moment some governor says you can't meet, those people won't show up. Because they don't get it. It's not just knowing the truth of the matter. It's like, this is life to me. I can't imagine going through life without my, my family, with, my body, with the body of Christ. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Romans twelve fifteen. It's just like a child, right? How many times have you seen a child who's about to like jump off a diving board or something into the pool and going, Daddy, Daddy, watch! Daddy, Daddy, watch! It's like, well, just go ahead and jump. No, you have to watch. <laughs> you have to see it. You have to be there. Have you ever been out on a golf course or Frisbee golf course or something like that and got a hole in one and no one was with you? <laughs> like, what's that like? Yay! <laughs> like, they probably even doubt if you actually got a hole in one, right? Like, it's all about the moment of being there and someone else is with you. It's the rejoicing in the moment. When you found out you were pregnant, if this is for one of you ladies, like, is it just like, oh, yeah, yay, yay, yippee y- 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 me? No, it's like, I had to tell everybody about this, right? It's news to be shared. I want other people to, to um, join in the celebration. Well, sometimes you don't value something and recognize just how great it is until you lose it. Three, deal, three, three weeks of dealing with an improperly functioning ear has given me a new appreciation for hearing. A few years ago, and this is like a litany of all of my sicknesses and illnesses, but a few years ago I, I snapped my Achilles tendon, gave me a whole new appreciation for walking and running and jumping. Um, and I think when the COVID lockdowns happened in 2020, um, we recognize all the more a new appreciation for church fellowship and worship. We're meant to live life in community. Someone has said that you can no sooner raise one Christian than you can raise one bee. Think about that for a minute. You can't raise one bee. Bees only operate in communities. There has to be a hive. 
There's a connection of each bee with every other bee. You don't raise one bee. You raise a colony of bees. It's the only way you can do it. Similarly, Christians aren't to be raised individually. Christians live in community. We're to function together. Or to use a biblical analogy, we're all sheep meant to flock together. And there's one good shepherd, and his name is Jesus. And he's given other people as under-shepherds to work underneath his care, but it's Jesus who is our chief shepherd, and we're all his sheep. And he's told us we're to work together for the benefit of the community and for his great glory. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your glorious word and for the reminder of the importance of local church fellowship. Lord, I, I think sometimes we can get into a, a place where we like we know the, the, the truth of something. We know the, maybe on some level the importance of something, but perhaps we haven't valued it the way we should. And I pray within this church, Lord, that if there were anything that, I, anything that I said today that was helpful to members here, Lord, I pray that you would encourage them to follow through with whatever you've prompted them to do. That there's places in which they realize they have to open up more and share if there's places in which they need to give more, if there's places where they've been maybe jealous of someone else or thought themselves to not be important to the, to the fellowship, Lord, I pray you correct any of those false uh, opinions and persuasions and, and replace them with, with truth. Remind them that every member is important, every member is different, and all of us have been called to serve with the capacities and the giftings that you've granted us for the building up of the body of Christ, for the edification of your bride, ultimately that you would receive all the glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, certainly there are many things there for us to consider and what a wonderful analogy that we are given in the body by uh, what Paul's written to the Corinthian church and uh, of course we know that's the spirit of God that's moved upon him to pin those words Uh, so we know that this is uh, scripture that is indeed profitable uh, for us but uh, what, what what a good thought about not missing the beauty, not yeah. missing the glory. Um, I know when when Pastor Jess was speaking, I'm, I'm thinking about the man who's sitting right behind me. You know, I'm thinking about how Steve must miss the use of his arm. Um, you know, it's it's still there. You know, it hasn't gone anywhere, but it doesn't function. You know, the way that it once did. Um, and thinking about this whole idea of missing, um, brother, I miss you. Brother, sister, I miss you. You know, I think about the different people, you two back there in the back row too, miss you guys. Um, people the Lord's brought through our congregation that for one reason or another aren't here anymore. We, we indeed missed them but what a blessing uh, I, I called on on that brother to pray before you preached um, he reminds me uh, so much of his grandpa 
Um, he's, him praying just kind of overflows upon you. Um, you, you, and I'm, I, here I'm giving this accolade, you know, to, and I'm not probably making him feel a little bit uncomfortable, but, uh, indeed there are those, I was listening brother to a message recently that Martin Lloyd Jones had preached and he had been, um, and being a doctor, you know, he understands when he says that he was to the point of exhaustion he knows what exhaustion is. It wasn't just being tired. He excused himself from the others and went and laid down until time for him to preach. And he providentially walked through the door when a brother that he did not know, he'd never seen before, never heard before, was praying. And he said, through that prayer, the Lord removed that exhaustion and invigorated him to be able to preach that night. Now, it's not him. It's Christ in him. You know, it's Christ in you. It's Christ in us uh, that makes the difference. Um, you know, I, I, I would like to say that, that people felt that way when I prayed, um, you know, but I'm, I'm certain that's probably not the case, Brother Johnny. I'm not saying that it might not be of any encouragement, but it not, might not be of that level of encouragement. Uh, there's people that the Lord's gifted uh, with that ability to be able to pray. And just their, they may not be preachers. It's not preachers necessarily to only pray that way. But, but they may not be preachers, but it's such an encouragement to the whole body to hear them pray. Now, it doesn't have to be in the sense that, that J.D. prayed a while ago. I can tell you that sitting around the, the, the table and asking my children to return thanks and listening to the things that they will pray about and thanking the Lord as, as I'm thinking about them when they were little bitty kids. Lord, thank you for the trees. And I'm thinking, Lord, I don't thank you for the trees. Lord, thank you for the birds and the sky and the grass. And I'm thinking, Wow. I'm, I'm, I'm missing it, right, Brother Jess? You know, I'm, I'm praying about all these important things over here, but I'm missing the beauty of those things, you know, over there. Um, you know, Lord, Lord, help us. You know, my, my children would like for me to learn something that you stated night about asking your son for permission, you know, and sharing something, because their normal response around the table is, this is going to end up in the sermon tomorrow, isn't it? <laughs> and I'm like, probably so. Probably so. <laughs> <laughs> it just might. It just might. But take comfort in this. It won't unless the Lord impresses it upon me to do so. You know, they're like, that's no comfort. Um, I'd rather you not share that at all. Um, I remember I had the privilege of performing the marriage ceremony for Emily and J.D. And I remember one of the things, that as, as Jess is preaching, I'm thinking about that. How many years has it been now? Yeah, I was waiting for you to look at her. Yeah. Um, good, good job, brother. Um, you recognize the beauty of 14 years, right? Um, so one thing that I said unto them was, you're going to be weak where the other's going to be strong. And the other's going to be strong where you're going to be weak. And the Lord's just made it that way. And the Lord's given each other to the, you, to the, to the other, you know, in order that, that there be a completeness 
you know, there that wouldn't have existed. And that's a point that you were making in a sense, you know, that it wouldn't have existed by itself. How'd you like to be single today, brother? No. You better say no. <laughs> She's sitting right beside you. <laughs> uh, you know, there's, there's something wonderful and beautiful that the Lord has done there uh, that you can say, I, I can't imagine life without her or without him. How many years has it been now, Brother Barney? 56. Uh, and the Lord has blessed. Same amount, Brother Johnny. Yeah. Yeah. Dad can't hear me or I'd ask him, get him in trouble. But <laughs> he can hear me. It's been over 50 years, I know. But, um, you know, what a wonderful thing. And, and we can look at that picture, right? I mean, isn't the church represented in the same way? You know, we have this, this in regards to marriage, uh, and we have this body. Um, you know, so what a beautiful thing the Lord has done. You know, I could bemoan some of you not being with us anymore. But I can also rejoice. I can weep that you're not here, but I can rejoice that the Lord sent you other places and you're being a blessing, you know, in that place. Yes. Uh, the Lord knows what he's doing. You know, I could say, I want to gather you all together. I mean, if we had all the people that have passed through here, that are, I'm talking about people that are still alive. No, 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 there's others that have, have gone on to be with the Lord. But if we just had all the people that, were, that have passed through here that, that are still alive, I mean, we would, we would get here each day. And it's like, you know, Brother Doug used to, used to meet with us every Sunday, and he'd sat right over there. And he asked me, he said, where should I sit? I said, sit wherever you want to, brother. He sit right up here. He didn't sit up there, but, you know, <laughs> he sat back there. But, um, you know, it's, it's uh, what, what a blessing what God has done. I mean, think about going through life without what God's given us in one another. Um, to be able to encourage and pray for one another. To be able to lift one another up. I mean, I, I have been in those situations where pastors have called me and church members have called me in, in, a, in a dire need. And, and some of them were, were hours away states away and they could not they i mean they could get in the car but it would take a long time for them to get there and and they've just said things like this brother we're 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 meeting you at the mercy seat and that is just like a shot in the arm you know uh other times this fellow right here you know at a camp meeting and during that time and he knew there was a need there he knew i wasn't able to work and he just he sticks out his hand like just to shake my hand in fellowship and when his hand left mine you know there was there was money you know left there he didn't make a big deal about it he didn't he didn't go hey everybody look i'm going to give this to russell um you know there's there's that receiving sometimes that's not real easy to receive uh, but the lord taught me something of receiving through all of that you know, there were, there were people sending things that we didn't even know. And you're like, wow, Lord, you, you, you've provided here in a way that I, I didn't see. Uh, but what a blessing the body is. Thank you, brother, for bringing uh, that, that message uh, unto us. You know, I, I think about the, the person that may be feeling uh, a little bit like I'm unimportant. There's, like you said, no part of the body that's unimportant and I, I think about 
in, in a sense of encouragement to say that, that our attitude, every one of us, ought to be, Lord, here I am. Use me. Yes. Whatever way you see fit, use me. And it made me think about what David said about being a doorkeeper, you know, in the house of the Lord instead of dwelling in the tents of the, of the wicked. But um, yes, yes, what a, what a blessing it is to have one another. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. By this, yeah. All men. Yeah. By our love one for another, right? Right. There are, there are. Yeah, I think about what you, that that young waitress that you had spoke to that time, and and she didn't seem to be receiving the things that Brother John was trying to share with her in regards to the gospel, and uh, uh, so many of those people that you're talking about. Your response to her was, "It's not looking good for you," you know. And there's a lot of people that's not looking good for them. Um, they need to see the beauty that you see. They need to see the beauty that I see in Christ. Uh, they have a great need uh, to see that. So, um, absolutely. Organizations try to face that and counterfeit it for one another. They can start calling off organizations that are against that. Mm-hmm. It's not true. Mm-mm. No. And, and they would know it if they knew what we know. Right. <laughs> they would understand it. I'm going to add to your... Um, analogy on the Grand Canyon, brother, because I have been there. So I wholeheartedly agree that seeing a picture in a magazine is not the same as being there. The problem is that going from lookout point to lookout point to lookout point the entire day, it begins to look like a hole in the ground. (laughs) And I'm ready to go home, you know. But in heaven, guess what? My feet aren't going to be tired. And, and my mind's not going to be like it is now. And I'm going to behold the beauty and I'm going to behold the glory that is in that place. And it is not going to diminish. It is not going to fade. It is not going to tarnish. There's not going to be a part of me that says, I'm tired. Uh, it's just going to be this fullness of joy that is going to be continuous and unending and something that heretofore we have not known. We've only had the earnest of that inheritance. We just had a taste, a foretaste of that glory that is to come. And it won't end. It won't ebb and flow. It will be forever the same, forever joyous. That first moment, there's not a last moment that we can say. Uh, but if we could put it in those terms, the first or the last are the same. Day after day, year after year, millennia after millennia, the joy remains and it will be full. Yes, yes. Amen. Well, Sister Shelby, can he speak fast? <laughs> 
she gets, there are, a few of, there are a few of the church members here that get on to me because I can, I can at times speak fast. I was the kid that would watch, or it was later on on TV, but you remember the radio commercials where you had the guy at the end of the commercial that had to give all the disclaimers? And I would practice and practice and practice and try to speak as fast as he could speak. And it's, it's been kind of an Achilles heel, you know, in a sense, because she's like, what? <laughs> What'd you say? Um, not to mention the fact that there's this East Texas accent, right? And so there's some words of like, um, oh, okay, I, I, I understand what you're trying to say. Yeah, because we didn't say it that way, you know, where I came from. Yeah, all right. Well, let's, let's take just, just five or ten minutes. Let's not take too long. Some people have a drive, you know, left. And, and, uh, but uh, let's take five or ten minutes, stretch your legs. Uh, go back and get something to drink or visit the restroom facilities, whatever. Um, and then we'll maybe sing a hymn, and then we'll have Brother Johnny come and preach. And at the end of his message, we'll all be saying, why didn't he preach longer? Right, Brother Barney? I mean, he's got to watch. He sticks it up here, and he preaches like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, that wasn't what you signed up for. Right, I understand, I understand. Right. For no 20-minute sermon, yeah. Yeah, that's true, that's true. Well, we know he's going to preach as long as the Lord. Yeah, we'll let him preach, let him preach. Hopefully it gets stuck up in there like he talks about, and he's just got to get it out, you know. Did that look anything like him? I don't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's 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 the wisdom in an older pastor that exists compared to a younger pastor. Yeah. All right. Well, um again, let's just let's take a quick break and and uh and then we'll come back and and uh, hear brother Johnny bring whatever the Lord's laid upon his heart to bring to us. <laughs> 